Hello Woodworms, I'm Ray Defterius, and this is the Hand Toolbook Review, the podcast for people who love woodwork and love reading about woodworking too. So you've just started hand tool woodworking and your friends keep telling you about this book. Maybe you read the recent Lost Art Press blog about carcasses this week and wondered whether that guy at the Hand Tool Book Review was ever going to get round to doing a review. Or Maybe you're just planning on being shipwrecked on a desert island with only one book. Regardless, Robert Waring's book, The Essential Woodworker, is a book that is often recommended as the one book you should get. Before we get into today's book, a quick update on what I've been up to in the shop. Recently, having read Cal Newport's excellent book called Digital Minimalism, I've been grappling with how and when to utilize smartphones in the house. I've got three kids, they range from 9 to 13, And increasingly, there seems to be a home screen invasion into, well, just about all of our spare time. I'll caveat that by saying they're not complete screen junkies. I caught my middle one in the workshop the other day. There was some evidence for how the ant farm had been made. A number four stuck back on the shelf with a clogged mouth and shavings littered all over the workbench. So hey, they're growing up kind of the way I'd like them to. But we still struggle with all the technology problems that I guess are common to modern parents. And Cal Newport's book is a good book and worth reading. I'll give a shout out to Gary Rogowski who first alerted me to it. As a result of reading the book and trying to control the tyranny of devices in our house, I decided to build a cell phone charging station, which is going to be located at the top of the first floor landing. I hope that by positioning the devices here, it'll be clear to see if a kid is sneaking some screen time. As I started to design a charging shelf, I wondered whether side beads were appropriate and had a good laugh at myself when I asked the question, what would a shaker cell phone charging stand look like? The irony of working with hand tools to make an electronic charging station is not lost on me, but it's a surprisingly fun project with a concealed back and I've been looking for ways to hide the chargers and cables and it's led to some interesting design choices. I hope that whatever you're busy with in the shop is equally rewarding. Now on to today's book. Robert Waring was a teacher in England by trade, and it's interesting that he entered this profession on the back of a government education grant, similar to the GI Bill in the US, after the Second World War, where he had served. Having excelled at woodwork in school, he gravitated towards this field, and found a lifetime of satisfaction as a craftsman and a teacher. One of the unique aspects to me about the book is that it's written by a person who has extensive experience with students and all the mistakes that they commonly make. I think that this is the defining characteristic of the book. There are books by comparison that are written by master craftsmen who may either one, struggle to articulate how they do things, or two, make assumptions about the level of skill of the reader. This generally results in a book where those who need it the most find it inaccessible. Robert Waring's book, on the other hand, is the exact opposite of this. Reading it with my current skill level, it is clear and easy to follow. But if I throw my mind back to the beginner Ray, the guy who was completely intimidated by all the moving parts on a plane, Robert has him covered as well. And it is this back-to-the-beginning approach and the empathy and ability he has to put himself in the shoes of a novice that I find so refreshing. The book starts with an introduction, and I'm going to read a bit of this to give you an idea of the writing style, but also his philosophy. I cannot not remember having some of the basic woodworking skills. 
However, many men, women, boys and girls, of all ages who are keen to make a start at woodworking, find that a multitude of excellent books on the craft assume very basic knowledge which they do not have. This is really a pre-textbook. It is aimed mainly at those working alone. The apprentice has the guidance of a master craftsman, while the college student has tutors. Keen amateurs, often working in total isolation, lack this advantage. It is hoped that this book will start them off soundly, so that they will soon be able to take full advantage of good technical books, and if not designing original work, beginners will be competent to work from books of designs, drawings and magazine articles. Unfortunately, as is the case with other crafts, the initial skills needed are the most difficult to acquire. Planing a flat surface for a beginner is much more difficult than cutting a secret mitre dovetail for a more experienced woodworker. Accurate joints cannot be marked out and later cut using components which are in twist, unsquare and of uneven thickness. Accurate planing is the foundation upon which successful constructions are built. It is not sufficient to watch a craftsman planing and then to attempt to copy him. He is not just standing beside a plane and moving it back and forth. It is necessary to realize that he is doing much more. If the craftsman is not there to ask, the beginner needs to be given a description of what he is doing and what it feels like. Unlike metal, wood is not uniform. Every piece is different, and herein lies much of the attraction and charm of working with wood. Each piece requires individual attention, and the worker is rewarded by the endless variations of grain pattern and ultimate finish. I think that the author's description of this as a pre-textbook idea is very important, particularly to the many woodworkers, like me, who are learning on their own away from any form of instruction other than perhaps the occasional access to a class. The first chapter is titled Basic Skills and you will start with the plane. It's interesting to note that the author recommends stripping down a plane as a beginner and then proceeds to teach you how to sharpen the plane properly. After this you will learn to adjust and set the plane before launching into the theory of how to plane, instructions on planing and some planing exercises that are going to help you master the skill. There's plenty of theory, great diagrams and explanations and by page 42 you'll be able to follow the six steps required to properly bring a rough piece of wood into a usable form. You'll find the teaching influence evident as after each step there are tests and questions that you can ask yourself to make sure that you're getting the skill. If I was starting from scratch, I cannot envisage a more systematic and excellent manner in which to learn the art of planing. And after that, we're straight into squaring the planed wood and the art of sawing, screwing and boring holes. Admittedly, by the end of the section, we're not chisel experts, but I think that you'll find for the beginner tackling his first project, which is the subject of the second chapter, we're just about ready to go. So we're about 20% of the way into the book at this point, and the fun's about to begin. Rather than tackle skills any further in the abstract, the author gets us straight into the practical. Now following along with his detailed instructions, we're going to make a table, or a stool. It begins with us having to consider the construction and design, with the list of key functional and size questions. I think this is a good habit to get into for all projects. A hallmark of the book is the invaluable tables and diagrams. Here, for example, we have a table that supports the construction of working drawings and cut lists that document all the standard wood sizes and give indications in both inches and millimeters as to the likely plane dimensions to be achieved from standard lumber. 
I know it's not rocket science, but it's useful to know that a one and a half inch thick piece of lumber is likely to result in a maximum of one and three eighths of usable stock. And consequently, designing from these numbers, or slightly smaller, may be far more economical than designing for an arbitrary size. There's a lot of detail at this point about the way to mark and keep your stock organized. And a few pages later, without any further ado, we're cutting mortises. There are five pages on the mortise technique, and the tests and diagrams conspire to reveal all the hidden mysteries of the craft. On YouTube, you might have seen videos of mortises being cut from the side, with the side facing the camera cut away to reveal what is going on. These videos are basically a carbon copy of Robert Waring's exceptional diagrams on the subject, from decades before the internet. As I read these chapters, the practical knowledge of typical mistakes, combined with the theory of why something is done the way it is done, along with great diagrams, makes for a very clear set of instructions. I love the fact that when discussing mortises, for example, Robert will tell you whether to cut mortises or tenons first, but he'll also explain why he does it in this order. I think that understanding the theory makes it a lot easier to internalize the order of operations. Soon we sawing tenons and using a router plane to true the tenon cheeks, with a handy block of wood screwed to the base of the router on one side to keep things level. It's a handy little trick, and one that I wish I'd been alerted to earlier in my career. Another thing that I think I enjoyed about this project is that it's not dumbed down. Your first table has haunched mortises, and they've been beveled to meet inside the wood. In other words, you're learning to do the things the way you'd finally do them. You're not learning to build birdhouses. Each part of the process seems to introduce new tools and techniques at a prodigious rate. Card scrapers, spoke shaves, different forms of glue. And at each step you are provided with knowledge about the process, for example different tabletop shapes. And then ways to achieve them. Whether that's using a saw or a spoke shave or even a compass plane. Once you've done that you're doing edge shaping with the scratch tool and making shrinkage buttons. At about the 100 page mark your head might be spinning. This is a book that should probably be read slowly step by step and interspersed with sessions in the workshop to absorb it properly. I found that if I read too far in one sitting, my head was spinning with everything that had been crammed into my brain. But the end is in sight because after making some buttons we are on to finishing and leveling the table before the project is complete. Chapter 3 is about making a carcass and it's the second project in the book. Again, I'd suggest that in order to avoid overload, Work through this slowly in conjunction with the actual construction. If you're new to the hobby, advance a few pages, put what you've learned into practice, and then do the next few pages. If you're a bit more experienced, I think that one way of doing this is to go about a project and then do the same between shop sessions. Compare your way of working to the way the author suggests. I'm pretty sure you'll learn something. The next chapter includes more advanced techniques, with a particular focus on dovetails, dados, in fact basically everything except draw construction, which is the subject of the final chapter. There's a bit here on dowel construction that you might want to skip. I certainly did. One thing I like is that with every technique, there are the common bench appliances you'll need, so you get instruction on building a dovetail alignment jig or a dovetail marking gauge at the appropriate points in the chapter. There's plenty of detail on shelf construction, and we'll learn why cabinet backs are built the way they are. Door construction, you name it, it's there. 
I love the pages dedicated to exploring different construction methods and profiles for doors. This really is a great section that I'll refer back to in the future. Moldings, fielding and a technique called bolection, which I was unfamiliar with, were all covered. By the time you've designed, constructed and fitted your own door, as well as installed your own hinges, I suggest you've covered all the essentials. But there's tips on making cabinet bases and fitting locks as well. The final chapter, chapter 4, is about drawers, handles and boxes. So by the time you hit the 10 or so appendices, it's safe to say you could make a table, a stool, a cupboard, entry shelf, etc. You could make a few gifts for your loved ones and know that you've got the basics solidly behind your belt. If you're used to making drawers already, this chapter also has some useful tips and tricks. Perhaps you'll learn where to use muntins or reconsider there are three different methods for attaching a bottom to a drawer. However, if you're starting out, this chapter is incredibly useful and packed with details that will make the why and the what of construction clearer. I like the author's way of marking parts to ensure correct assembly. When I read them, I was reminded of a podcast where Joshua Klein mentioned the quarter circles and pieces that he finds in centuries-old furniture. Waring brings this theory right to front and centre, and you can join a long tradition of woodworkers who made sure everything went together properly. Framing drawers and ways to protect the drawer when planning to fit or discussed, as well as ways to adapt the techniques learned to box construction. There's even a brief section on mirrors before the book's completed with some interesting appendices. Admittedly, a few related to power tools, but in the main, they're a good addition to the book. So there you have it. In conclusion, The Essential Woodworker is 252 pages long and is full of drawings and diagrams and written by Robert Waring. You can find the book at Lost Art Press and as at January 2021, it costs $14.50 for a digital version, which I would not recommend, and $29 for the hardbound book, which would be my suggestion. I think you'll find this book useful to prop open on the workbench while you're working. I'm giving the book a 7 out of 10 in the category Techniques. The book is not an encyclopedia of every technique available, but what it does, and does exceptionally well, is to teach you the way to accomplish the essential tasks you will need. Describing it as a pre-textbook is apt. Going back to the introduction. If you had no skills, and were Robinson Crusoe, shipwrecked on a deserted island with some carpentry tools and a good source of lumber, I'd suggest this book. If followed through from start to finish, you'll be more than capable of doing the basics and doing them properly. Perhaps, more realistically I guess, if you could take a six-month sabbatical, lock yourself in the workshop, and give this hand tool thing a shot, this book would be my choice. And I'd suggest that regardless of experience level, following Robert as he goes upon the construction of projects in the book will add value, reveal tips, tricks and methodologies to more advanced woodworkers. As a teacher, Robert knows how to get to the essence of the matter at hand, and I'll end with my favourite quote from the book. One that I'm reminded of every time I make dovetails. Observing many student disasters over the years, I have come to realise that lack of skill is the cause of remarkably few of them. This is because, time not being money, amateurs can proceed so slowly and by such small steps that success is almost guaranteed. They can, for instance, examine the wood after almost every shaving. In this way it is virtually impossible to plane under size. 
the main causes of failure seem to be careless and faulty marking out, often even just not bothering to shade in or to indicate the waste. Or else blunt tools, that extra turn of the plane's adjusting screw that results in tearing by the blunt cutter, the extra force needed for a blunt chisel with the resulting reduction of control, or the slow wandering progress of a blunt saw. Hence, before any activity can begin, the tools must be properly prepared and sharpened. Not holding the workpiece securely is another cause of failure. So that's it for now, woodworms. And remember, always remember to mark the waste on all sides of the dovetails and keep reading. If you've got any comments or suggestions, perhaps a favourite book you'd like to suggest, or one you're considering buying that you'd like me to feature in a future episode, send me an email at handtoolbookreview at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can find me on Patreon. Any contributions will support the purchase of books for the library and future episodes. <laughs>